right, you guys ready to go? It's going to be an awesome series. You're going to be blessed by it. So I want you to get your Bibles out so you're ready to go and turn over in the New Testament to 2 Timothy chapter 1, all right? So it's quite a ways over, so you have to take your time and, and uh, go toward the end where you see it there. 2 Timothy chapter 1 is where we're going to be uh, working together. And let me get mine set as well, and we will be ready to go. 2 Timothy chapter 1. You know, uh, I don't watch a lot of television anymore, and honestly, the reason why is because there's just not a lot to watch, all right? But there are a few shows that I do enjoy, and you have probably figured out, given this name of this series, that one of my favorite shows to watch is Mankind, or Man vs. Wild, and the star is Bear Grylls. And Bear Grylls is kind of a hero to me for a couple of reasons. Number one, he's a follower of Jesus Christ, which I think is awesome. And he loves God. And he's got a great testimony. Checked it out, made sure. So that's cool. That's one reason why he's a hero. The second reason why Bear Grylls is a hero to me is because he does put himself in extreme situations and then shows you how to survive. And you never know when you're going to find yourself in an extreme situation, right? So I kind of like to, you know, check it out and take some notes in case it ever happens. And uh, one of those situations that he's been in happens to be something that I pray I am never in. So watch Bear as he tries to get through a cave. Slow your heart rate down. Slow your breathing down. Almost to like that point before you go to sleep where you're really relaxed. And then everything contracts and your blood vessels actually shrink. It's just trying to get into that state. It's not always very easy. Many people have lost their lives in U.S. caves. They get trapped and die from hypothermia or drown in rising floodwaters. There's a whole chasm down there. It's not quite see how far it is down from the water. But one thing for certain, I cannot get back up that easily. There's only one way out of here, and that's down. Okay, watching that makes me claustrophobic, all right? Am I alone at 111th or here at Hobson? Wow, lots of, a lot of claustrophobes here, all right? I don't like even, I don't like any narrow space that makes me feel like my guts are going to get squeezed down, all right? Just do not like that. Now, how many of you like to spelunk? You know, that's what they do when they you go caving. How many of you enjoy that? Anybody? Wow, some of you who enjoy doing that. I don't get it, all right? I don't, I don't know why you want to crawl around in the thoroughfare of snakes and rats, okay? It just doesn't look pleasant and it doesn't look comfortable, but some people are into that and that, that's fine, that's good. But as Bear says, you can sometimes pay a mighty price to that, like losing your life. And that's what happened to 26-year-old John Jones. He was uh, spelunking in Utah in a cave there called Nutty Putty Cave. And he was about 700 feet in when he got stuck in a crevice upside down. 
and uh, couldn't get out. So they called the rescue workers who showed up and they had to rig like a pulley system to try to get him out. And they were having success until the pulley slipped and then he fell even further into that. Now the sad news is that, they, that he died. They got him out 28 hours later, but it was too late. He had passed away in that cave. Caves can be dangerous places. Ask the Apostle Paul. He was in a deep, dark cave, and it was a very tight squeeze. And he sensed that he wouldn't be coming out again short of a miracle. Now, Paul had been in caves before, but this was the worst. And I'm not talking necessarily a literal cave like Bear Gryllis was in. I'm talking about a prison. He was in Nero's prison and he was facing trial and possibly execution because he was proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and was a follower of the Lord. Now, according to tradition, Nero then had him executed and Paul's life ended. But the interesting thing about the apostle Paul is that As dear as his life was to him, what was more dear, what was more important was his relationship to Jesus Christ and making sure that in any situation, good or bad, hard or easy, that God was glorified. And so Paul has stated in other places that it was okay if he died. All that mattered is that he wanted to make sure that Christ was lifted up and God was glorified. But Paul was very concerned about his young protege. His spiritual son in the faith, Timothy, who was in his own cavernous experience in a city called Ephesus. Now, Timothy was not in a prison. He wasn't in any kind of cave. But the city, the culture of that city made him feel very claustrophobic. And he was really struggling there. And Paul sensed that he was struggling in that culture. And so he writes two letters. The first letter to Timothy and the second letter, which we're looking at for the next six weeks, to help Timothy get stabilized, to encourage him and embolden him in his faith, to hang in there and be strong. And I don't know about you, but as I think about living in the culture that I'm living in these days, I need some encouragement, don't you? I need some strength. As an individual, as a husband, as a father, as a grandfather. By the way, I became a grandfather again uh, this uh, uh, past week. My, my daughter, Bethany, had our fourth grandchild, little Lucas Antonio Lozada, 7 pounds, 13 ounces. Beautiful kid, all right? I had to slip that in. Sorry, all right? But, you know, as I think about my grandchildren, I get, I get concerned. I get passionate about that. I want to make sure they're going to survive and thrive in this culture. So, in order to help us understand that, let's see what was going on in Timothy's life. Let's go to Paul's uh, letter to him, and let's look at chapter 1. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Here we go. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I have been sent out to tell others about the life he has promised through faith in Christ Jesus. I'm writing to Timothy, my dear son. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace and mercy and peace. Timothy, I thank God for you. The God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted. And I will be filled with joy when we are together again. I remember your genuine faith. 
For you share the faith that was first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but a power, love, and self-discipline. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength that God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time, to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. Now he has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. And God chose me to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of this good news. That is why I am suffering here in prison. But I am not ashamed of it, for I know the one in whom I trust. And I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. Hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you learned from me, a pattern shaped by faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. As you know, everyone else has deserted me. So Paul felt the pain of being in prison, but he was stable in God. And as he looked at Timothy, he realized that Timothy as a young man was being shaken by not only Paul's circumstances, but the circumstances that Timothy was going through. How do we know that he was shaken? What was going on in his life? Paul gives us a clue in this letter. The clue is found in verse 7. Paul says, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity. Verse 8, he says to Timothy, never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. So Timothy was struggling with the issue of fear, timidity, and shame. Now that word fear and that word timidity actually come from one Greek word that Paul uses. And it describes a cowardly fear that is created by a weak inner spirit. So Timothy is is feeling cowardly. He's, he's kind of cowering himself. He's, he's worried. He's afraid. He's got a fearful spirit inside of him. The word that Paul uses for don't be ashamed of the gospel and don't be ashamed of me, he uses a a, a Greek tense there that means this. It means that Timothy was was tempted to be ashamed. It's not that he already was ashamed, but he was so scared, he was so upset that he was tempted to be ashamed of the gospel and tempted to be associated with with Paul. It was like he kind of wanted to get out of Ephesus and just go somewhere and be anonymous and not be associated with what was going on. Now, you can't blame Timothy if you understand the culture he was living in. Ephesus was a, was a city, a large city, that was hostile toward the faith, and it was growing more hostile toward the faith. Paul had left Timothy there to lead the church, and so Timothy's dealing with a culture that's not friendly toward Christians. He's facing the possibility of persecution, of being bitten, uh, bitten, maybe that as well, being beaten, possibly put into prison. He faces the issue of false teaching that was all around him. And some of it was coming out of the church that he was leading. He's facing a sensual culture. Sexual sin was rampant and easy to come by. It was just kind of the way people did life back then. And so no wonder this guy was wobbly in his knees 
as a young man trying to lead himself and lead the church. And what was even more stressful for Timothy was that he's trying to replace the Apostle Paul. Can you imagine trying to do that? What an incredible responsibility to have to lead that church and stand in Paul's place. As you and I face the culture that we're living in today, as you think about the world around you, do you feel a little intimidated? Do you feel a little wobbly in the knees as you look at what's going on right now politically, what's going on morally, what's going on economically, what's going on spiritually in our culture? Does it make you shake a little bit? It does me. Or for those of you who are parents or grandparents, does it make you a little fearful thinking about trying to raise your kids, your teenagers in this world where they are being bombarded with all kinds of confusing messages about sexuality, about marriage, about self-identity, about what is truth and what is not truth, what to believe in, what not, and, and what not to believe in. I mean, it's like, trying to, it's like trying to lead them through a really dark cave and you're getting squeezed from every side and the only thing you want to see is daylight to get them out and get them through. And how about our own country today? In all honesty, our culture is becoming increasingly hostile toward Christianity, isn't it? I mean, to live your faith out of school, your kids, that's intimidating for them to live their faith out of school and to stand for what is truth and what is right. How about for you at work or among your peers, your friends or your neighborhood? I mean, are we supposed to stand up and speak out about what we believe in when we're, we're, con- when we're confronted with things in the culture that, that are in disagreement with the scriptures? Or are we supposed to keep quiet? Uh, Do we recede in the background and just let stuff happen? Or do we speak out against it and speak up for what is truth and what is right? Do you feel sometimes a little ashamed or a little embarrassed to, you know, to be a Christ-centered, Bible-believing Christian because it's not cool in the culture? That's the kind of stuff we're facing. And what we desperately need to hear is the advice that God gives to the Apostle Paul about how to survive this tight space that we're living in in our culture and how to, how to break through into real freedom. Not the freedom that the world offers, but the freedom that God offers us. So where do we start? You might want to jot down some of these notes. I look at what Paul said to Timothy, and the first thing I hear him saying to Timothy and saying to you and me is simply this. We need to look at our circumstances. You need to look at your circumstances as the place where God has allowed you to be for the time being. You need to look at your circumstances as the place that God has allowed you to be for the time being. Paul looked at his circumstances. He was in prison. He'd been there before. This was a worst-case scenario for him. It was nothing new to him. And Paul didn't panic about it. He saw that that was where he was supposed to be, that that's where God wanted him. Timothy needed to see himself in Ephesus as the place where God wanted him to be. You need to see yourself right now living in this culture, at your job, at your school, in your neighborhood, as not by some accident, but the place where God wants you to be for right now. Paul never saw himself as a prisoner of Nero, folks. Paul saw himself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. That's how he saw himself. Now, 
you have to look at your circumstances. And you can look at your circumstances and feel sorry for yourself and feel that it's all very unfair that you're in the poor health that you're in or that you're in the income level you're in or you're in the situation where, you know, you're without your job or you've been demoted or whatever it is. You can look at that and feel sorry for yourself and be mad and be angry and be upset. Or you can say, you know what, God? You know about me. You're in control of my life. For whatever reason, you've allowed me to be here. I'm not going to see the downside of this. I'm going to see the upside of this. What do you have planned? What do you have planned? How are you looking at your life this weekend? Are you looking at your circumstances with a negative perspective? Or do you see, no, this is where God has allowed me to be. Now, a little time out here because some of us are in circumstances that God didn't put us in. In all honesty, we put ourselves there. We put ourselves there by making poor choices. We put ourselves there because of our own sinful attitude or behavior. Now, here's the good news. Admit it. Admit it that you got yourself there. God didn't. And then just say to God, God, I'm sorry for the you know, decision I made. I'm sorry I didn't consult you. I'm sorry for my rebellious attitude. Please now help me to climb out of this cave. And now you can start your way upward. All right? Number two. I hear Paul saying to Timothy, look at your circumstances as an opportunity to glorify God. Look at your circumstances as an opportunity to glorify God. Paul saw his prison experience as an opportunity to glorify and honor God in some way. You know, over in the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul has uh, some words of encouragement to the Christians who are living in a place called Philippi, and he writes these words from a Roman prison as well. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, he says this. He says, And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Then he goes on in verse 20 and 21. He says, you know what? If I die, I'm going to gain heaven. He goes, that's okay. And if I live, I get to keep on preaching Christ. So it doesn't matter to me whether I live or die. What matters to me is Christ. Can you imagine being chained to the Apostle Paul? Do you think that guard heard the gospel over and over and over again? He says the whole palace guard heard it. I think that if Paul did stand before Nero, he probably told Nero about Jesus. That's probably what got his head cut off. You and I can look at our circumstances as well and make up our minds. Am I going to, be, am I going to see myself as a victim here? Or am I going to see a way, an opportunity to glorify God? You know, I've talked to some members of Compass Church who have gone through cancer and have had to go through chemotherapy. And I've had some of them share with me how they've used those experiences to then witness to other chemo patients, the doctors and the nurses. They just decided, if I'm going to have to go through this, I'm going to glorify God. What a great attitude to have, huh? I'm going, to make, I'm going to make the best of this for the sake of Christ. And that's what, that's what God wants us to do. In verse 9, uh, uh, 2 Timothy, Paul says, God's called us to live a holy life. And by the word holy life, he doesn't mean that we're supposed to go around, you know, with, uh, with robes and hood over our head. 
Nor does it mean that we're supposed to go around arrogant like we're better than everybody else. What he literally is saying is, you know, God has given you the capacity to live a changed life. Live that changed life. Live that Christ-centered life. Live that life of God in you in front of everybody. Use every circumstance as, an, uh, as an, a way to honor and glorify God. I want you to think about your circumstances right now. I don't know what they are, but you know what they are. And I want to ask you a question. Are you using your circumstances however good or however difficult they are, as a means of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and his work in your life? It's a good question to ask, isn't it? Am I using my circumstances and it's an opportunity to show people what it means to depend on Christ, what it means to not put my joy in my body, my joy in my possessions, but my joy in him? You know, they say Disneyland is the happiest place on earth. That's a bunch of baloney. All right? All right? I want to tell you, you know where the happiest place on earth is? It should be the church. Boy, hear the crickets on that one. I mean, I can even hear the crickets at at 111th. All right? The church ought to be the happiest place on earth. But I'm telling you, sometimes, honestly, it's like a morgue. It's just sad. It's down and almost depressing. That's not what the church ought to be. We're the happiest people on earth. Why? Our Savior is what? He's risen. Our sins are forgiven. I'm going to heaven someday. And no matter what I'm going through, if God's in control of my life, he's got a reason for it. I get to glorify him on the way up. Doesn't get better than that. Does not get better than that. So I don't know how you're looking at life right now, but if you're a believer and you got a sour face, you need to go wash it. All right, wash off the sour, and you need to focus on the joy. And so let's take this a whole step deeper, all right, since we're talking about caves. Third thing, stop looking at what you don't have and instead realize who, not what, realize who you do have. In other words, what I think Paul's saying to Timothy is stop looking at your weaknesses. Stop looking at what you don't have and look at who you do have. God's not asking Timothy to be Paul. Only Paul can be Paul. God's asking Timothy to be himself in Christ. God doesn't want you to be like anybody else. God just wants you to be you in Christ. In other words, if you're a follower of Jesus, what Paul is saying here is you need to look deep within, look beyond your puny self, okay? Look deep inside and realize that if you're a believer, the Spirit of God has come to indwell you and you need to depend on his presence. And so if you're walking through life right now fearful, upset, anxious, stressed out, embarrassed, ashamed, a worry wart, I know, I can diagnose you right now and say you are not depending on God. Because God doesn't give us that kind of spirit. That's what Paul said to Timothy in the passage, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. I want to ask you a very important question this weekend as we start the series. Are you tapped into the power, love, and self-discipline that the Holy Spirit wants to give you? And a lot of us aren't. There are times in my life when I am not. 
It's not God's fault. So the question is, how do we tap into that? How do I teach my kids to tap into that? How do we live as powerhouses in this world? How do we live with joy in our lives in the kind of world we're in today? To answer that question, we have to go spelunking in the scriptures, all right? So I want you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians, another one of Paul's letters, right? Just uh, over there in the New Testament, go to the book of Ephesians with me in chapter 3, and we are going to go spelunking into a passage of scripture I believe is going to bless you and bless you greatly, all right? I know it's blessed my heart as well, all right? So chapter 3, come down to verse 14. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. We're going to take our time, and we are going to soak in this, and we are going to get spiritually high. Are you ready? How many of you like to leave high this weekend, all right? I'm talking about spiritually high, all right, from the Bible, okay? All right, we're not selling Kool-Aid. We're talking about the scriptures. Here we go, verse 14. Paul says, when I think of all this, stop. Say we were going to go slow, okay? What's he thinking about? Well, if you read the verses ahead of this, Paul's been talking about the amazing miracle that God would make Gentiles part of his family. That God would sacrifice his son so that Gentiles could be forgiven of their sins and so we could know the fullness of God. Paul says, when I think about what God has done for us on the cross, when I think about the resurrection, when I think about all that he has planned for my life, look what he says. He says, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father. That's worship. Paul says, when I think about God and what he's done, it puts me on my knees. I fall on my knees before God. He says, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth is like Paul's overcome. And when I read that this week, I felt so convicted in my life. How often I am not overcome by what God has done for me. I take, I take it for granted. And if somebody like Paul can be overcome with what God has done for him. My goodness, I should be spending most of my time on my knees. How about you? Isn't it amazing what God has done for you and me? It's so amazing, isn't it? Wow, four of you are amazed. I don't know where the rest of you are, all right? It's amazing. You are forgiven. You're going to go home to eternity someday. But here's what's so awesome. Listen, he says, verse 16, I pray, in other words, Paul's saying, knowing this, I pray that from his, meaning God's, glorious unlimited resources, he will empower, and the Greek word there means he'll infuse you with inner strength through his spirit. And you thought your life was boring. And you thought you needed some adventure. Hear what Paul is saying? He's saying, the God of the universe, I'm praying that the God of the universe, he's talking to believers, will infuse you with his unlimited resources. They'll infuse you inside, deep within, with inner strength in the spirit of God. Isn't that something? Man, the problem we have, though, is that most of us have a tendency to look in our lives and we see our weaknesses instead. And we see our failures instead. And we see what, you know, we haven't done right instead. And I understand that. I look inside, I see my weaknesses, I see my failures, I see my sin as well. The problem is that's where most of, it gets, most of us get stuck. And that's all we think about. You know, Poor puny me and all my failures and all my weaknesses and my lack of capacity. And I wish I was smart like him or smart like her and blah, 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 blah. You know what? 
Paul says we've got to look past all that and see God living in us. Now, I'm not doing the positive teaching kind of thing you hear some televangelists do right now when they say, look inside and see the new you, see the powerful you, all right? I'm not powerful, but God is powerful. God is powerful. Look what it says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. It says, but you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Where does the Holy Spirit live? In me. Doesn't that blow your mind? You need to look inside, get past all your weaknesses and see God's presence living in you. That's why Paul said to Timothy, you need to not have a spirit of fear and timidity. You've got a spirit of power inside of you. The power of God. He's living in you. The power, the raw power of God, the power that put the universe in its place lives inside each one of us. But it's a choice. I can either see it and accept it by faith or ignore it and focus on all my weaknesses. But notice what Paul says here. Look at it again. He says, I pray that from his glorious and lunar resources, he'll empower you with inner strength. Inner strength. Here's the problem. Most of us are focused on outer strength because that's what the culture preaches. That's what the marketers tell us. That's what your kids hear all the time. It's all about the outside. It's all about being rich. It's all about looking good. It's all about wearing the right clothes, driving the right car, living in the right neighborhood. It's all about our trophies. It's all about being noticed. It's all about Facebook. It's all about me, me, me. It's all about the outward. So we spend our life trying to be strong outwardly. And God says, I'm not investing in that. God says, I'm not going to help you in that part of your life. You say, why won't God help us in that part of of our lives? Because God knows it's here today and gone tomorrow. Why invest in something that's fading? Now, that doesn't mean that God won't bless you at times materially and physically and so forth. But I think God only does that if you know how to use it for him. That's why I got a real problem with a lot of televangelists, health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Because it's all about me. And I don't know what Bible they're reading, but it's not the Bible that I read. And God says, I'm not going to invest in that part. But I'll invest on you inwardly. I mean, think about it. You have success today, tomorrow somebody knocks you off the pedestal, right? You got good looks today, pretty soon you're going to have wrinkles, right? The way it goes, you lose your hair. It happens, right? One day you're at the top of the class, the next day at your bottom. One day everybody knows you, the next day they forget about who you are. So God says, I'm not going to focus on the outward, but God says, I want to strengthen you inside. I want to give you that which passes from this life to eternity. I want to strengthen you through my spirit to live a life that glorifies and honors me. See, that's a big deal. Most of us want to live a life for ourselves. And that's why we never realize God's power. That's why we're never happy. Because we think life is about me. It's not about you, okay? If it has to be about you, then the Christian thing's not for you. At least it's not for you right now until you get over that. But if you want to know real power, real strength, then you live your life for him. Now, watch what happens as we move on in the passage. All right? Here we go, verse 17. 
that Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. The word that Paul uses there when he says that Christ will make his home in your hearts is a very special word, all right? And it, it literally means, it's a compound word, it means to dwell down deeply. Paul says that if I will stop worrying about the outside if I'll give up control and focus on God's presence in my life. If I'll let Christ be at home in my life, I will begin to know his power. The question, though, is, is Christ at home in your life? Is Christ at home in my life? Big question to ask, isn't it? You know, a lot of times when people come over to our homes, uh, we'll we'll say to them, hey, you know what, uh, come on in and make yourself at home. You ever say that to people when they come over, right? And uh, maybe, you know, uh, you, uh, you said that to people and people said that to you. But in all honesty, we don't really mean it, do we? I mean, you don't want me to come to your house and really make myself at home. I mean, what, if you welcome me in and I, and I walked in and I just went right to your refrigerator and started, you know, going through stuff, would you feel a little uncomfortable? And what if I went to your, you know, your desk drawers and started looking at your bank statements and stuff? How would you feel about that? And what if I said, you know, I'm going to sleep in your bed tonight, all right? I'm going to sit on your toilet or whatever it is. You know what I mean? You'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't want me to be home that much, do you? All right? So let's just don't tell people make yourself at home because you don't mean it. And, you know, we do that to the Lord all the time. Lord, I want you to make your home in my heart. But Lord, do you mind take your sandals off because I just washed the carpet? Help yourself with anything you want in the fridge but the chocolate cakes for a party tomorrow. You want to use the internet? Sure, no problem. Here, let me get you logged on. Um, you're looking over my shoulder. It's my password. Do you mind? All right. And uh, Lord, please, I don't know why, but you don't need to go through my, my desk drawers. I've got everything in order there. And by the way, we don't stay up past 11, do you? See what I'm trying to say? You know what I mean? Jesus wants to be at home in our lives. And when we make him at home in our life, we basically say, my life is yours, not mine. Then he settles down deep. Now watch what happens in the passage, all right? He settles down deep, and now he says in verse 17, and your roots will grow down into God's what? Love and keep you strong. What makes a believer strong? The fact they're rooted in God's love. How do I know God's love? When I let God be in control of my life, no matter what is going on, it doesn't matter the circumstances. I don't doubt God's love. I know that God loves me. And I want to tell you something. There are a lot of Christians today who struggle believing God loves them. Most of us have been brought up in churches. I was brought up in a church that was fear-based. I was brought up in a church that was rule-based. And it was all about making sure I kept all the rules and obeyed God because if I didn't, it made God mad. And I figured God has always grumpy because I always break rules. So I lived and still to this day struggle with a fear-based relationship with God. That's not how God wants us to live. God wants us to live in his love. God doesn't love me because I keep the rules. I can't. God loves me because he chooses to love me. What a different motivation that is. When I live out of being loved by God, no matter how many times I screw up, I'm still loved by God. Now I want to obey because God loves me so much. 
Do you believe God loves you right now? Some of you have messed up. You're not sure. Some of you have, you know, the, the thoughts going in your mind, God can't possibly love me after what I've said, after what I've done. And you believe in that, you believe in that lie. I'm here to tell you, God loves you no matter what. And you've got to start living out of that love. And that love is what needs to motivate and drive you to obedience. See, but what about the rules? The rules are there, all right? I'm to try my best to be obedient to what God has said in his word. But it has to be motivated out of love and not out of an unhealthy fear. God loves you. He loves you deeply. And that's why he closes the passage here and says... And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Is that awesome or what? It's just so awesome, isn't it? So when you come back and you look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, you understand now better what Paul means when he says to Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but a power, love, and discipline. What was Timothy's problem? Instead of focusing on the presence of God in him in his circumstances, he was focusing on his circumstances and forgetting about the presence and power of God. Right now, who are you focused on? What are you focused on? Are you focused on your circumstances? Are you focused on the culture? Are you focused on this crazy world? Are you letting the world shake you up? Are you focused on the presence of God in you? Allowing him to embolden you to live strong in this world for him. You have to answer the question. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would be speaking deeply to each one of us and revealing to each one of us like you've been revealing to me. What or who our faith is in. Father, some of us right now are shaky. We are fearful. We are anxious. We are stressed out because God... We've been focusing on the outside world. We've been focusing on our outside strengths. And our world's being rocked right now. And we're discouraged. We're disheartened. Forgive us. Forgive us, oh God. How foolish we are. How silly we've become. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Oh God, we turn back to you. We turn back to your love. We turn back to your presence. We turn back to your spirit. And by faith, oh God, we refuse to live for the world. We're going to live for you. And though we may not understand our circumstances and our situation right now, we know we are where you have allowed us to be. And God, we are determined to glorify you, to live out loud for you. And God, it's not not what's going on, it's who's going on in me. Lord, I pray this series would be used by you to make us stronger, bolder, and to experience the unlimited resources of your power and love. Bless be your name. In Jesus' name, amen.